everyone, how are you doing? This is Nanto Zunito from Define Policy Talks. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. And it's been seven episodes released to the public. And this time, on the eighth episode, I will talk to Niwa Dwitama, my colleague, my friends from the Indonesian Foreign Ministry. Uh, you know, uh, he has a tremendous background. He was graduated from the University of Indonesia and he's just recently earned his master's degree from Columbia University, a school of international and public affairs. He was graduated from the Diplomatic Academy F39 batch and guess what? He's the best graduate. So I'm so curious on what he think on the expectations of people uh, on what diplomats really do and the realities that he has ever had as being, uh, for being as a diplomat and we hopefully can also discuss on the knowledge and the skills that young people out there need to have uh, when they want to be a diplomat so without further ado let's talk to him Hi. Hi, Niwa. How are you doing? Hi, Noto. I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. Are you working from home during this pandemic? Indeed, as expected. Been almost three months now. Let's say two months and a half. I've been working from home due to the situation that we're dealing with right now. Oh, I see. Thank you for your time. I know you're very busy. Uh, you know, we're we had even need to reschedule this interview. But uh, thank you so much for joining me at this uh, Foreign Policy Talks. <laughs> no, not at all. Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, truly an honor to be part of your podcast. And hopefully I can give something, an added value to that. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much. So Niwa, you know... Um, there are so many students out there, especially uh, from IR schools, uh, who have a dream to be a diplomat. And I'm so glad that you're here as a diplomat, wants to share your experience, and mm-hmm. hopefully we can get something useful for them to better understand the role of diplomat. And I hope so that from this interview, I can, I can get some thoughts from you on the, on the Indonesian foreign policy at the moment, on the foreign affairs in general. So what... Do you want to share a little bit of your responsibility to the foreign ministry now? For sure. Um, first of all, however, I would like to make a disclaimer that this discussion that we're doing, uh, I'm representing myself. So, um, you know, personal opinion on some of the point of view. And of course, I would like to also support your idea to be able to inspire more young IR students in Indonesia or beyond to be able to get to know more about diplomats in its daily professional job. So at the moment, I am assigned and working for the Directorate of Political Security of ASEAN Cooperation at Pajambon, Kemlu, Ministry of Renovers. And before that, I was away for two years um, studying for my master's degree in the United States at Columbia University. 
And I think this is one of the perk or benefit as a diplomat or government officer when you are abroad or away taking a study tenure, you are basically uh, still serving in the office uh, and then you get back to where you were. And then before that, I was also working with ASEAN. So I've been quite a while now at ASEAN Political Security Cooperation. But besides doing a daily job at, you know, working on a couple of issues related to terrorism, um, South China Sea, transnational national organized crime, etc. At ASEAN level, I am currently also assigned as the interpreter, the state interpreter at Kemlu, especially um, assigned to the coordinating minister of political and legal security affairs. So whenever the coordinating minister has any bilateral or multilateral meetings, uh, I usually um, assist as an interpreter to him and to the ministry. So that's basically about my job at the moment. Wow, it seems like you're, you've been handling so many issues, so many important issues. And I, I don't know if it's difficult or not, but it seems like you are, you're used to it, yeah? With, with, the, with the roles that you've been uh, handling with. So, you know, Niwa, there are quite many stereotypes around about the diplomat's life. Uh, people think and assume diplomats are always around the royal family and world leaders, always have a very high-class life, joining an international meeting at a five-star hotel, traveling around mm -hmm. the world. So what stereotypes do you think are right and which one is wrong? Uh, that's right, Noto. This is actually not the first time I heard about this narrative or the story about uh, being, you know, prestigious lifestyle, class A, classy way of living of the diplomats. I think um, it's understandable uh, how this narrative come across because if you look at the word diplomat itself, it's been used a um, long time ago, even way before the Vienna Convention on, on Managing uh, Diplomatic Relations Between States in 1961. Because for example, if we look, if we look further, on the, you know, the root meaning of the word of diplomat itself. It comes from the, the Greek language, uh, diplomats. I don't know if I pronounce it correctly, but basically it means holder of diploma or a better documentation of accreditation from the sovereign territory, maybe, because it was before the Westphalian state of, you know, nation state. And it also relates to French Revolution and, and whatnot. Uh, which also reminds me to Les Miserables, uh, the movie, if you, some of you might watch it, and then you will see how the envoy from one group of, let's say, the freedom fighter or the, the state uh, that actually occupied the certain territory at a time. And we will know what it means to be a special envoy. And in 15th centuries, Italy starting to use the permanent diplomatic representation in the country. So there are a lot of things happening, diplomatically speaking, in Europe at a time. There were, you know, interstate conflicts, interstate wars at a time. Mm -hmm. And then diplomats or special envoy were tasked specifically to negotiate, uh, to promote the interest of one party to another. So it really happens 
on a very high level platform, high level uh, interaction. But nowadays, we are not, um, arguably speaking, we are not in a time of war. We don't have that much of interstate uh, relation of conflict, interstate war anymore. We might have within the state wars conflict between, you know, certain factional groups, but not as much as it was before. And then uh, we have Vienna Convention already that also stipulates what are the diplomats, what are the main function of the diplomats, right? So I believe most of you have already known uh, what are the main function, but I would just, you know, at a glimpse, uh, say it out, the main five core function of the diplomats nowadays as uh, stipulated under the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations 1961. The first one is representing uh, the state uh, in the receiving state. Secondly, protecting within the limits of international law, of course, the national of the state uh, they represent in the receiving state. Thirdly, negotiating the interest of the, the state, be it in multilateral agreement or even bilateral treaty. And then the next one is promoting a friendly relation uh, between the states uh, and then uh, reporting about the development of the receiving state to the country uh, of their own. So I think looking at these five conventions, we could see how comprehensive the work, right? It's not only representing the country in a cocktail party, for example, uh, as what some narrative would say about diplomats' life. It's also about protecting the national in the receiving states. So looking at Indonesia right now, for example, we have so many numerous diaspora across the world, right? Not only in Southeast Asia, like Malaysia and Singapore, but also even as far as the Gulf states, you know, Africa, United States even, so farther away, and China, and cetera, so on and so forth. So even, you know, in conflicted area like Afghanistan, where diplomats' life is not as easy as the one of, or some of my colleagues or seniors who are assigned to, let's say, a rather peaceful country, more less conflict country, like in the Europe, it's not easy because on the daily job, they are dealing with the tension, the pressure of being, you know, bombed, uh, not themselves, but, you know, living in the vicinity of warring areas or conflict zone is not as easy as we thought. So this is also part of, you know, uh, the work of diplomat. And then, of course, the fact that diplomats uh, is need to be uh, highly selected because they need to represent the right etiquette and the right culture of their own countries abroad in the receiving state. Maybe to certain degree, that's why uh, certain countries will be able to serve the person in a way that it's quite uh, prestigious, highly cultural, and you know, aesthetically very beautiful and high class and so on and so forth. So I think uh, these are some of the general picture of diplomat and how important it is for us to be able to dispel the myth that diplomat is working, uh, you know, from one cocktail party to another, being under a fancy pen strip 
suit and so on and so forth because it's not always true because that uh, that's only um, you know what people see from the movie uh, but the reality there are more function of the diplomat as I explained before it's interesting I'm going to touch then uh, on the skills and knowledge that a diplomat needs to have uh, we have known that there is a shifting model of diplomacy uh, right in many ways in the 21st century you know the, the usage of the advanced technology more non-conventional issues in the relation between countries the increasing role of non-state actors in diplomacy. So in your opinion, what skills or knowledge do we need to have a, uh, to, to be a diplomat in this changing world? Right, interesting question, Noto. Um, there are many ways to answer this question, right? But I think I would say these three factors that I think mostly affected the way how I think about a job of a diplomat uh, in general, given, as you said, the rising importance of non-state actors and the rising, the emergence of technology. The first one would be how a diplomat nowadays need to be able to embrace technology and all its aspects, including its consequences thereof. I mean, um, a diplomat nowadays need to be able to, especially today, because we have our working from home, right? We should stay at home cannot go anywhere, travel. Usually we travel a lot, considerably, but nowadays it's highly restricted, even virtually stopped. So what we do, what do we do? So uh, it's important for us to innovate now and think about how we can use the online platform and the technology to be able to pursue different programs um, through virtual meetings, even negotiation nowadays at multilateral level or even regional level in ASEAN need to be con conducted uh, in a virtual way through online platform. Uh, and of course, this is kind of breaking, uh, you know, the, the, the culture or the habit that uh, the normal way of doing things. Uh, but if a diplomat embrace the technology and of course also wants to protect themselves from the consequences such as the cybersecurity. So there are many emerging issues related to that as well. So I, I believe that a diplomat nowadays needs to be aware of that to learn more about the development of technology but also the cybersecurity aspect of it. And secondly, I think the importance of being adaptability, because we are living in a very, um, you know, evolving landscape, everything changed every day. The, you know, the change is the only consistent aspect of our life. So we need to be able to adapt uh, with the reality that we live in. And I think once it applies to any professional job, I believe, if one is able to adapt itself to a new environment every time, they tend to grow fast, they tend to uh, develop new skills. And this is important, especially for a diplomat, where you are dealing with, you know, a very cross-cultural way of life, dealing with different cultures, different nationality of people, etc., and so on and so forth. So I think it's important uh, so that in the future we also have an adaptive leadership skill in this our ever-changing fast-paced world. The third one is because you mentioned about the emergence of non-state actors, right? This also reminds me 
about how important it is uh, for a diplomat nowadays to have this kind of mindset, uh, mindset which is um, the importance of triple helix um, model of diplomacy, let's say. Triple helix means we need to understand how important it is to, you know, to think through about the interconnection between the government, business, and non-state actors. So it's not uh, possible for us now to focus more on interstate relations uh, per se, like one state to another, like receiving state, as I said before. But we need to entangle the the difficult or the 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 complex interlinkage between relation government to business, business to government, government to non-state actors, as you said, because individual can uh, do much more than it was before. So I think it's important for us to be able to consult more with NGO, uh, civil society, in order so that the formulation of foreign policy is comprehensive in a way that it can benefit the people, the Indonesian people in general, for example. Mm -hmm. So, um, Niwa, you know that um, foreign policy uh, at the moment uh, for younger Indonesian is something that's you know uh, sounds very difficult. Even as even when you said the three, you know, skills that we need to have to be a diplomat in this changing world. Uh, I mean, it's only three, but you know, it's it sounds like it's a it's a hard job to do, and it's sometimes. People, I mean, young people. It's difficult to appreciate the role that Indonesia's leadership has played and continues to play in the international stage. But uh, why do you think young people in Indonesia need to understand foreign policy? What's the importance of understanding foreign policy? Uh, maybe you can share a little bit on your experience on uh, how did it help you to see the world, for example. Right. So I, I was too a student of international relations before uh, in undergraduate, but then I took a master degree in public policy, which basically connects. One thing that I could say here is that uh, international relations theory and all the knowledge I gained was giving me a, helicop a helicopter's view of the world, a helicopter's, a bird's eye view of the issues international issues and global issues that emerge around all of us today. So um, given the fact that we have a globalized world, which impacts, you know, different kind of job, not only a diplomat's job, but also in business, we have MNC, even NGO, coalesce or collaborate even strongly nowadays with their international counterparts, right? It's really uh, give me the importance of why it is important for us, especially young people, to navigate the future employment that we have uh, or that we might have in the future. Um, foreign policy is uh, the policy that regulates all these international relations, how the country behaves, how the MNC and businesses cooperate, as well as non-governmental actor needs to, you know, to act in operating their businesses. Mm -hmm. So pragmatically speaking, it's important because we as the millennials, as you said it, as young people, we'll have a job that is internationally affected in terms of 
the profession and the type of job that we are going to do. And secondly, also because if we look at Indonesia right now, we have many um, young people, demographically speaking, demography-wise. Um, as I look at the National Statistic Agency uh, data, we have 67% of our population is under the productive age, which means 15 to 63. Around that's like almost 170 million, which is a great number, right? And young people, which according to our Indonesian uh, law on youth 2009, defined as those between 15 to 30 years old, uh, there are more than 70 million young people. So it's like 35% or so, like one out of the three Indonesian are young people. So this is very important for for us uh, and uh, the future of our nation. If you want to take uh, the opportunity that the globalization offers, that also means we need to nurture our millennials and young people to be aware of the foreign policy development, how Indonesia's leadership at the regional and international level in order so that now or in the near future, young people can also contribute to its foreign policy promotion and how Indonesia stands at the global stage. So uh, you mentioned uh, the statistic of our productive age. Uh, you know, the num number-wise, uh, nurturing young people is very important, as you said before. Uh, right. But but I, I I'm going to touch about the you know the quality. I mean, the mm. engagement so far from of youth to the foreign affairs. What's your general assessment of the involvement of youth in foreign affairs? I don't know, maybe the story of the foreign ministry, for example. And do you think we have enough invested on young people so far? Yeah, um, I think the engagement program on young people is truly important, but also, this way of thinking doesn't get resulted out of a thin air. Um, there are many considerations why it is important, right? And then, because if we look at the policy processes in the country or in Indonesia or anywhere in the world, when policy get formulated, it was uh, going through a step of you know, consultation and coordination. And then after that, policy is being decided and then implemented. And then afterwards, there is a monitoring and evaluation. So I think CSO and young people, um, and I also actually recently I read a report from the University of Melbourne and Knowledge Sector Initiative a couple of years ago, mentioning that CSO in Indonesia nowadays, especially have a strength in uh, affecting uh, agenda setting of policy formulation, right? Mm. So, of course, that means consultation coordination. This is where uh, the domain young people need to be able to improve on. This is what I think. Mm -hmm. Do we uh, engage young people enough? That's your main question, right? I think we do in a way that we coordinate or we engage young people in different level of interaction be it you know the government or Kemlu program 
public diplomacy, um, you know, promoting all the Indonesia, Indonesia's foreign policy uh, achievement as well as leadership, Indonesia's public policy, and how to engage young people in, you know, eradicating violent extremism, for example, um, understanding the tolerance and how we promote Indonesia's value to the world, contributing to the peace and maintenance of international order, which is basically the constitutional mandate of uh, our foreign policy, right? So yes, I think we do engage uh, considerably uh, young people, be it government, business, or even NGO. But some of the aspect where we can really improve on, I believe, is that how these uh, youth organizations that work on international development issue or diplomacy specifically can really collaborate uh, to make a stronger coalition in a way that they can make a big buzzer to the government mm -hmm. at in the national level or even international level so that they can influence more at the agenda setting. As I quoted before from the study by the Knowledge Sector Initiative, CSO in Indonesia uh, mainly um, has a role in agenda setting of a policy process, right? So I think we need to take a benefit of that. Young people, be it, you know, we have a number of quite Indonesian diplomacy, youth diplomacy or UNFPA youth and for UNESCO um, youth forum and whatnot, uh, that also con are heavily connected with their connection at international and regional level. So why don't we think about how we can provide a platform to actually uh, gather them um, as a network, you know, a networking platform and then help them to voice out their concern in order so that the foreign policy of Indonesia can consider more highly the voices of the young people. Thank you so much for the message. I think, you know, the listeners uh, of this podcast, especially the young people are feeling more optimistic now on their engagement uh, to the foreign policy, you know, decision-making process. I mean, I mean, as, as you said, there's so many platforms that can, they can join, right? And the government has taken part, right. taking an active part even to, you know, to engage more young people in their, in the, in the foreign policy decision-making process. But uh, talking about Indonesian foreign policy, in which part do you think we should improve on? And do you think Indonesia has shown all of our capacities in the international stage? I know it's very, you know, it's a very broad question. Uh, maybe you can uh, you can touch Pacific on one issue that you are in charge now. Yep. Mm. Right. This is um, a very difficult question, Noto. Um, <laughs> I think I would focus more on the topic that we are discussing today, which is about, um, you know, do you, how young Indonesian show our capacity at the international stage, right? So I think given the fact that we do have the so-called bonus demography, which should not be taken for granted, I think um, it's important for young people to be taken into account in the way how we exercise our foreign policy at regional or ASEAN level as much as at international level. 
However, I have a message to the young people who are eager, the IR student or economics student or law student who are eager to learn more and contribute in the IR realm um, to have these three important tra traits uh, to be able to be the bright mind millennials that can also contribute to the international stage. Indonesia stand on the international stage. The first one is uh, we need to show our grit and the need for achievement. I know that young people in Indonesia, I mean, Indonesian culture in general or Southeast Asian culture is known to be of a high culture. Sometimes we are a little bit reluctant maybe to show off what we got, right? To show off the achievement that we have resulted. Uh, and I think it's important for us to show more of the grit, grittiness that we have, that we are confident about the, our capability as well as our achievement. Mm -hmm. And we have to show it. And secondly, I think um, young people need to be able to be a good listener as well, because we know there are many online platforms a way of communication whereby people can voice out their opinions. But uh, more, more often than not, we forgot how important is, it is to be able to listen, not only hear, but listen carefully and then absorb as much as what we could learn from other people and then contribute to that idea as we build you know, uh, a peaceful society. And the, the last one is, to take action more. Uh, we should not procrastinate um, on things that we think we can actually do. If you have the capacity to be part of, you know, youth community, or you, you can be part of, let's say a movement that can leverage your personal profile, but also your institution, and as well as Indonesia at the global stage, go, hey, take it, take that opportunity and then uh, voice out your opinion in a way that you are part of the global citizens. So I think that's that will be my answer, Noto. Um, okay. We should improve more on how we can leverage on this bonus demography being part of the millennials of young Indonesian and hopefully more and more uh, Kamlu in this case will support that efforts uh, strengthen you know, these efforts to improve on young people's involvement at the international stage. So is it also a trend for some other countries in, uh, you know, in, you know, elevating the role or the involvement of youth in their foreign policy? Yeah, I think definitely. Um, because there are more opportunities for young people. I mean, it's quiet sensible for business sector or any professional sector would like to invest in young people because uh, during this productive age they they want to give exposure to them and to invest in them because they are the assets right um, so i think it's it's important for indonesia uh, you know be it government or business sectors to be able to prepare its young people uh, to be ready uh, professionally at regional and international level, especially also because, you know, um, for example, at the international organization, 
considerably speaking, Indonesia lacks the number of the staff at the, let's say, United Nations, right? Mm-hmm. Or Indonesia at any other international organizations. So if we boost the comp- confidence of our young people to go ahead and try apply jobs at the UN, our national, not necessarily national interest, but our national aspiration, let's say, the voice of young Indonesian will be heard now and the future. So it's a really good investment. And nowadays, the government of Indonesia has invested a lot of scholarship, which I also benefited until last year. I got the scholarship for my master degree, a high amount of money to get me master degree in the United States. And I also highly encourage many other young people to take this benefit, educate yourself, learn more from those countries who are way ahead of us, developed uh, countries. And then when you return back to Indonesia, you can actually develop your ideas and what you got from abroad in order to build a better society and therefore a better Indonesia, right? Mm-hmm. That's so cool. That's a very cool message. Uh, Niwa, if you don't mind, if I touch your personal story, like uh, what's the most challenging... Oh, sure. What's the most challenging moments when uh, you are as a diplomat? And uh, is there any unforgettable moments that you can share to the listeners? Yeah. Um, so before coming to the foreign ministry, I was too part of the NGO. I was working as a researcher in a think tank. And then, of course, when I get into the government, one of the most challenging, uh, you know, aspect of professional life that I encounter was how tedious, you know, the work of coordination and bureaucracy in the government. But in hindsight, as more years I work in, within the system, within the government, I realized in the bureaucratic system, it's important for us to ascertain the coordination between, you know, sectors. As you've heard, maybe even until recently, um, there are an issue of ego-sectoral between governmental uh, institution, mm-hmm. which also happens not only in Indonesia, but also any other countries, even developed countries like United States, right? Um, so I think uh, that's one of the challenging ones, but as time passes by, I learn more and more how important it is. And if you know how to actually, as we discussed before, try to use um, you know, the technology, the benefit of technology that it offers, uh, and hopefully we can make our coordination and bureaucratic processes even more, uh, you know, easier or convenient. I think that's also one of the reasons why, for example, one of Indonesian foreign policy priority is to, um, to make uh, Indonesia's foreign policy uh, bureaucratic reform, uh, di- digital infrastructure to be better from mm. one year to another because we want to make uh, a better, more efficient in order so that we can protect our national our national abroad in a timely and efficient manner. We can voice out uh, leadership of Indonesian foreign policy stronger. So uh, that's the first question. And the subset of the question, the unforgettable moments of my career as a diplomat so far, 
would be, let's say, the first one is that, because you know, before getting uh, assigned as a diplomat uh, of Indonesia, when you get accepted, you will go through a diplomatic academy for one year, like a training, uh, academic training uh, for young diplomat, which is quite a long time in a way. But at the same time, I make a really good friendship and camaraderie. You know, like living in the same place, dormitory uh, in South Jakarta together with other 69, yeah? mm. the other colleagues of young diplomats within my batch. It's unforgettable how we live together, wake up in the morning, have breakfast, and then have a talk about how we feel about the training so far. But also at night, we discuss about our evaluation of Indonesia's foreign policy. And we have fun too. Uh, like every morning, not every morning, I think two or three times in a week, we did some sort of like, not gym, let's say, uh, aerobic, how do you say it? Uh, like sports, right? Be it um, some people do yoga and some people jog together. So I think it's very unforgettable. And I think in Indonesia, Kemlu or foreign ministry, the unity of you know the batch of diplomatic academy that they get trained within is really important and this can be carried through uh, along their career but that doesn't mean uh, we have some sort of like exclusive feeling within this batch but this is just a good asset for a future career of my diplomacy and i think secondly it's also because you know, I used to be an NGO person working outside of the system, mm -hmm. given recommenda giving recommendation and evaluation or even critics to the government regarding its policy on social development and poverty reduction, right? But then I jumped myself into the system within the government now. I need to shift my mindset. And then I think it's challenging at first, but at the same time, um, I, I'm hopeful about what I'm doing now because this is some sort of like an investment for my personal life or generally speaking, uh, when I get into the system, that means I could contribute more significantly in the future uh, in a systemic way, uh, being part of, the, part of the government. And I want to also represent that young people in Indonesia is not um, allergic, let's say. It's not allergic to the government works. Indonesia and young people is not uh, reluctant or allergic to bureaucracy because in the end, it's the quality of the government that can advance uh, the society of Indonesia and hopefully the economy of uh, our country as well, right? <laughs> yeah, that's... Awesome, that's, that's cool. You know, hopefully uh, this interview can, you know, can answer some of the expectation of uh, young people who wants to be a diplomat and also open up more realities mm -hmm. that uh, you have ever had as, uh, as a diplomat. And thank you so much again, Niwa, for joining me at this Foreign Policy Thank talk. you so much, Nota. Thank you for having me. It's yes. really great that you actually have this initiative and hopefully it could gather more and more people that could also share their knowledge and also inspire more young people to be able to contribute to foreign policy.
Mm-hmm. I'm sure now uh, many are packing up themselves to apply as a diplomat this year. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but I think uh, I would say you don't always have to be a diplomat to be able to contribute to foreign policy. There are many other ways, like what you did, for example, right? Yeah. So what you're doing, yeah. Yeah. So. Maybe we talk to you again when you're a diplomat and when you're become an ambassador. So looking forward <laughs> to you as a as our ambassador. Thank you so much for representing us as a foreign service. And thank you. Again next time, Niwa. Thank you. Talk to you soon. And all the best for your project and everything, Noto. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye bye. <laughs>